Father, we're just so delighted to be able to be here, one with you, knowing that you're reaching out more than we can even understand or believe or feel or think, that everything that you are is here for us, and we pray that you would send your spirit, that everything that you would want to plant in us, that we would flourish, Lord, would we done. In Jesus' name we pray. Maybe see it. He's on his knees. <laughs> We're not getting married up here. Really. <laughs> oh, dear. Oh, lovely to be with you on this Good Friday. My name is uh, Pastor Ron White and delighted to be back with you on such a special occasion. Uh, as I walk in uh, to the auditorium here, I have my Bible and my little blue ribbon is in a place that I feel that I need to bring to your attention today. So I come down the front here and delightfully you're welcome to the service with a verse on the screen. Yeah? From Romans chapter 8. Hey, that's where my Bible is with my little blue ribbon. So when I hear things come from a two different directions at the same time in a way that people don't organise, I immediately take that as being that the Lord is speaking to us and the Lord wants us to know something. That it's not simply a, another text, another good idea or something appropriate for the moment, but it's something the Lord wants to whisper into our hearts. So I want you to pay particular attention as I read this to you uh, from Romans chapter 8. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also give us graciously all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is he that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died, more than that was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble? 
or hardship or persecution, famine, nakedness, sword. Know in all of these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am convinced, convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, in a traditional church service, you would all say, thanks be to God. Can we be a little traditional on Good Friday, all right? You know, hear the response? It says, thanks be to God. Hear the word of the Lord. Thank you. you can do better. Hear the word of the Lord. Ah. Good Friday. Well, it was the very first swimming pool that was constructed in, in Rome. It was constructed outside the walls. On one of the seven hills of Rome that surrounded the Tiber River, and it was called the Esquiline, Esquiline Hill. Up there on the Esquiline Hill, there was going to be developed these immense expanding villas, these perfumed gardens, these tinkling fountains, and it was going to be the place that the most wealthy in the entire world would build their homes. Turak and Brighton were nothing in comparison. All of the surrounding areas of Rome, rapaciously taxed and oppressed, the money came in here. It was where everybody could not even begin to dream that they would live. It was here that Nero took land off people and built what is called his golden home. It was a mile long. You can still go to a park in Rome and, and see the remains of that home. It's up there on the Esquiline Hill over the valley of the, where the Colosseum was built. But there was a reason why people hadn't built up there before because on the Esquiline Hill was where there had been since the beginning of Rome and for hundreds of years the city cemetery. It was here that they disposed of the dead. It was here on this hill where masters, legally, could crucify their slaves if they had been disobedient. Or if they didn't want to have any part of that, they could hire someone else to do it for them. It was here on Esquiline Hill where the rats would scurry around, the dogs Mangerly would, would seek to scratch on the ground of the shallow graves. Vultures would gather, sit on the crossbars of those that were crucified. It 
It is Horace, the Roman poet, that names vulture the Esquiline because that's where the vultures would gather. And a little later, Juvenus, the poet, the poet, talked about how the vultures would feed their young from the flesh of dead carcasses of cattle, of dogs, and of the crucified. So it was a putrid place for slave people to beginning digging a swimming pool. Because digging a swimming pool meant digging through the decomposing, putrid carcasses and skeletons that for year after year had been thrown and built up, built up, built up. And it wasn't for nothing that they copied the Persian gardens in their architecture and style around their houses because they needed a perfumed garden to, to disguise the odour of what was there under the ground. And there was a reason why the gardens would flourish so amazingly because they were nourished by the decomposing bodies just there in the soil. Those are the crucified. Crucifixion. Accepted within the society. Hardly blinked at in some quarters. To be hung on a cross and a cross beam in the cold of night, in the heat of the day, arms tied back to be predatory fodder for the vultures or birds that would come and look for the moment. It was Cicero that called it the most cruel and hideous of punishments. After him, Tacitus described how it was just essential for society. This is how you keep people in order. This is what's required for us to be a people. He wrote, and I quote, we have slaves from the end of the earth in our household. How else but by this terror will we seek to coerce this scum? That's what they were, the crucified. Waste. Disposable. Forgotten. Scum. Down the other end of the Mediterranean, uh, Josephus, the historian, writes in Jerusalem and from Israel that there's not enough wood around for the crosses that are needed. He writes in his historical antiquities that the Romans would amuse themselves by inventing new ways in which bodies could be suspended upon crosses. He called it the most wretched of deaths. The Romans wouldn't own up to the fact that this was theirs. They couldn't conceive that anything such grotesque could ever be invented or thought of in a Roman mind. 
For them it came from the Persians, from them it comes from the Greeks, from them it came maybe even from the Franks. Certainly not the Romans. But in the Romans in 71 BC, when Spartacus led a revolt with slaves, and it was overcome, the Appian Way, which leads into Rome, was decorated with 6,000 crucified. When there was a small revolt in Israel in 7 AD, 2,000 were crucified. At the fall of Jerusalem and in 70 AD, the soldiers had to travel 10 miles to find wood for the siege equipment to overcome Jerusalem. And as people sought to escape from the city, they were caught along with others. And in Titus, besieging of Jerusalem to bring down the morale and cause it to, center, to, to surrender 500 people every day for months were crucified. Now, astoundingly, with all of these thousands of people crucified, there is not one single Roman record of what would take place. And there was a procedure that was clear. If this scum was to be kept in order, this waste of people, firstly, there would be the sentence, and then there would be the humiliation. Thirdly, there would be the parade, publicly. Fourthly, the death. And as part of this process, what would happen to the body? Which typically would be to be thrown away because who cares? And there'd be so many skulls that the place would be called Golgotha. But extraordinarily, extraordinarily out of the tens and tens of thousands that are crucified, there is but one single account of a Jewish man. And what is extraordinarily beyond all that is that there are four accounts of that one Jewish man. Now, I can remember working in a workplace and saying to somebody, wouldn't it be wonderful if we could actually read what somebody said that was actually there with that Jewish man? And they said, that would be wonderful. And I said, I've got it home. It's called the Bible. And extraordinarily, you can go home this afternoon and you can read this account of this one man in four different versions. And I would suggest to you that maybe you think you've seen all you need to know about that if you're a regular here. 
But there are things within that that you have forgotten and will come alive to you if you go home and actually read the account this afternoon. So why is it? Of these tens of thousands of people that are crucified, we have but one account of one person and 2,000 years later, we are not here marking the death of tens of thousands of people crucified by Romans. We're not here in commemoration of a historic, prolonged massacre of people. We are here because of that one person that was crucified. Now, whether you're a, a visitor today, you know nothing about faith, you're welcome here, really welcome. And as you're here, let me ask you a question. What is it about this one person that's crucified that 2,000 years later gathers not only us but billions around the world? And even here in Australia, we take a day off from work calling it Good Friday and marks us now. What is it about this? that are so convinced and captivated people, they're quite prepared to be sawn in two or lose their life rather than say, no, it's nothing. (laughs) What is it about this person that Christians say changes them in a way that nothing else ever has? And they say changes their marriage and changes their family, changes their society, regardless of their ethnicity, regardless of the country that they live in, and builds a civilization, a whole civilization, out of this one man. And so Christian people believe that this is what makes it different. In Romans chapter 8, that this is not just a Jewish rabbi, celibate, teacher. From Romans 8 it says, but God demonstrates his love for us even when we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And it's this perception that changes everything. God demonstrating his love for us. Now, I know we've got some university students here today and uh, the university students go along to uni and they hear all sorts of stuff. The whole market is developed upon a particular understanding of the ultimate. So let me have some complicated words for the university students. Can we do that? Everybody else, you can just sort of tune out for a little while. Some big words and stuff like that. 
So what do we mean God? Thomas Aquinas sits in a, in a classroom and says, well, what is God? What are we talking about? The philosopher would say we're talking like Aristotle about the ground of our being or the uncaused cause. Later on, philosophers like Spinoza would equate God with the universe and after him, Hegel. God is the universe. The scientist would come along and say, well, that's the rationality within the world. You can't do science without the assumption that it's not chaotic. You have to assume that there's reasonable and intelligible. That's the basis of science. A theologian would say, well, that's the ground of our being. That's what God is. The skeptic would probably say something like, well, what you're talking about is the reason why there is anything. And the atheist would say, doesn't exist. Which is a little bit like reading the book, The Hobbit, or watching the films, and then saying to yourself, well, there's no such thing as John Ronald Tolkien. There's no verifiable evidence within The Hobbit that that author exists. His name's not mentioned. You can't prove that that author Tolkien exists from reading Hobbit. Of course you can't. But everything that John Ronald Tolkien is is through the book. The book exists because of him. His personality, his thinking, his purpose in writing it, his purpose in bringing it together, his passion in spending all of this time within it runs and reeks through the books. We're not talking about, well, there's slugs and snails and puppy dogs' tails and then there's, uh, then there's birds and then there's rats that run around and then there's animals and then there's big animals and then there's human beings and then there's angels, and there's the, there's the Avengers, and there's Superman. And uh, way above that somewhere, there's a big being called God. And well, that's nonsense. I don't believe that. When you read Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God. God is before there is any beginning. The God that we're talking about that comes to us in Jesus Christ crucified, is the one who breathes and speaks into existence mass, movement, space, time. From his breath, there it all is. We're not talking about a mere being inside creation. We're talking the one that breathes and speaks all things that have been. So here we are on the third rock from the sun. They say that there's a hundred billion stars within our galaxy, the sun being one. And 200 billion galaxies exactly the same as ours. 
that it's ever expanding and that's what's seen by the James Webb telescope at least. And we are talking about the one who breathes all of this mass movement existence being in Jesus Christ. Here on a cross. And that changes everything. But God demonstrates his love. In some circles, there's a, an ancient custom by which one would uh, make the sign of the cross. You want, you want to hear say the Latin? I'm very proud I can say the Latin. You want to hear? Yeah? It's nomine patri et filia spiritus sanctus. There you go. Now you're all impressed. Thank you very much. God, who's in the highest place, unspeakably beyond description comes down into terms we understand within a human body that we might see and comprehend walks around in our mess enters into our dysfunction the sin of the world comes upon his shoulders he goes deeper still into hell to collect those that have gone before so that all of heaven and all of earth might be gathered into his arms. Amen. Wow. God demonstrates his love for all. Arms outstretched. Now you note the word that in the scriptures doesn't say God demonstrated. That's imperative. Because this is not a museum, this is not an historical lesson, even though probably part of it sounds like one. This is not about something that happened in the past. When we come to communion, it's not a remembrance of something that's finished. It's not an aberration that God had a, a soft sort of moment and then got into that and then he's gone away somewhere and changed his mind and now he's got a little bit antsy. It says God demonstrates demonstrates here incredibly you see God say this is me this is who I am and he doesn't change he demonstrates he is the I am not the I was he's not the I will be one day he's the I am this is me. Look deeply. Look deeply to what you have on the screen. Behind you have the Father. Right there with the Son. This is me. I'm right here. This is who I am. It's typical for us to think that God somehow is a, a way off. Um, even the Lord's Prayer says our Father who... Sorry, old language, art, art, got nothing to do with art, but <laughs> our Father who art in heaven, 
See, I'm an old man. I've got to talk in those terms. Um, our Father who art in heaven. So where's heaven? That'll be a long way off, right? That'll be after you die, yeah? That'll be, uh, according to popular culture, where they have fairy floss and fairy um, Ferris wheels and fairies and coloured lights and all of that, but certainly not a Jesus that would mess things up, you know. It's just all lovely. Like Elysium Fields, just walking through, everything's calm, growing lush. Where is heaven? That's where Grandma is, is it? Uh, Grandpa? Mm. (laughs) That might be where we hope to go. Our Father who art in heaven. A little bit longer in that same chapter of Matthew, Jesus is speaking and he says, Consider the birds of the air. Consider the birds of the what? You can say it, it's all right. Consider the birds of thee. And he uses the same word as our Father who art in heaven. Heaven. Air. Same word. Where's heaven? Where's the air? It's all around you, pressing in on your body. It's here in the room. It's here in the room. It's closer than you think. That's where God is. Demonstrating his love here. This is how he is now. Not the I was, not the I will be, but how he is. Look deeply. For in the cross you see how he is in his heart toward you. God demonstrates his love in that while we yet sinners, Christ died for us. John chapter 10, 30, Jesus says, I and the Father are one. When you see Jesus... On the cross, you see how the Father is now with you, by you, reaching to you. Philip says to Jesus, show us the Father. And Jesus said, have you been here so long and you don't know? Have you been in this church that you don't, and you still don't know? He who has seen me has seen the Father. In Christ crucified, you see the exposed, broken, abandoned heart for you. That's how he is. So when you see Jesus leaning back in the photo into the Father's arms as the beloved Son, it's not one love for the Son, another for the Holy Spirit and another for everybody else that has sinned and been forgiven. No, this is divine, unlimited, without circumference love that God demonstrates that he has for you. It's the same love 
that he has for Jesus as his son. 1 John chapter 4, verse 1, Behold, what manner of love the Father has given unto us, that we should be called the sons of God. And then it continues, and so we are. So we are. Those that are granted the same love as, Christ, as the Father has for the Son. So we are. And so that we can, like the Son rests back with all of his suffering and pain and questions and tribulation and difficulty, the same as we come into the place. We've got our circumstances, we've got our stories. We've got this stuff happening and not happening. He rests back in a perfect love, even there within his suffering. His questions, what has taken place, he rests back. And with that love of the son, the same love that he has for you, you can, in your circumstances, whatever they are, rest back and here is a love that cannot be bettered. Perfect in every way. Perfect in every way. Perfect in every way. To me. Now you say to yourself, as soon I say that, you say, oh, that's a little suspicious to me. Because you've never been loved like this. And immediately within your mind, you've got, he can't love me like that because. And deep within you, probably in your subconscious, there's a thing, he can't love me like that. Because I know myself. I know where I've been. He can't do that. But the scripture says that God demonstrates his love for us even that while we were yet sinners it's not conditional on how we are it's all about who he is as the I am you hear an amen in the room but it doesn't matter me Pastor Agus or you or whoever we are it doesn't matter how long we've been on the road and how much we know about the love of God the scripture says, no eye has seen and no ear heard. It is always vastly more than what anything we can comprehend. And the scriptures that we've read, doesn't matter what circumference and how limit you think the love of God is for you, that's a fairy tale. It's a Japanese paper wall. It's a deception. It's something that you've put up as the condition and the wall. That's not him. That's a lie. He loves as he loves his son. And this morning he would want to tear down that paper wall that you have within your mind, that lie that you have accepted, that he could not love me like that, and tear it down, and that you would not live your life on the basis of those questions, but you would live your life on the basis of who God is demonstrated here on the cross. 
and he can't pour it out anymore. It's there for you to receive. Now, I'm just going to do a little exercise here, just quickly. Holy Spirit, I would ask you, Lord, that within this, everyone here is so dearly loved by you. And just sit, rest, rest now, rest now. I'm going to ask the Spirit of God to bring something to your mind. Lord, I invite you to bring to mind in this room right here now where you are. Bring to mind what it is that qualifies your love. Whether it be a deed or a word, an experience, I pray that you would reveal what it is that limits your limitless love. Now let's just see what pops into your mind now. This is not for everybody else. Now if you've got something now, everybody's going to do this together so no one's singled out. I want you to just put your hands out in front of you like this, all right? All right, with that thing that qualifies the love of God. Everybody just raise their hands just gently like that, please. Thank you. Everybody, thank you. And what we're doing now is we're handing back to God that lie. And Jesus, this is what has qualified your love. And it's a lie. Because I see what you're like in the cross of Christ. Love with everlasting love. Forgive me, Lord, for doubting you, for living with an untruth. And thank you for your Holy Spirit that wants to pour your own divine love into my heart. God has so, so loved the world that he gave his only son. That whoever would believe will not perish, but have his own everlasting life. 